You're listening to the Galatians Spying Out Our Liberty in Christ series, preached by Pastor Dan Christians at Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. The past week I've been at that conference that I mentioned earlier, and I had the privilege of listening to powerful messages that stirred my heart for the gospel. The gospel is something I've loved for 10 years now. Um, it's what saved me. But you go to a conference like this and you just, you just get excited. You get passionate about it. It just so happens that the title of the conference was Unashamed of the Gospel. And it was almost like I had this message ready before I left. because It's been two weeks since we started the book of Galatians. And then they had a conference on my message. <laughs> and so it was just like pouring things in. And I wanted to tape like the messages and play them instead or something like that. I just felt full. But... Um, I left there in awe of the gospel, in awe of a God who would send his son to die for someone like me. It doesn't make any sense. (laughs) I'm wicked and awful, but God died for me. And so, I left there bursting with excitement to preach this message to you this morning. But I realized as I put the title of the sermon in the bulletin that it is a title that is controversial in our day. We live in a society where it seems like intolerance is the cardinal sin. The greatest virtue you can have in Western society is the virtue of tolerance. Now, the definition of tolerance that I found in a dictionary is that it's the ability or willingness to tolerate something, in particular the existence of opinions or behaviors that one does not agree with. And that's that's a good definition of what tolerance is. And what that used to mean was, I can disagree with you, but I will defend your right to say what you believe no matter what. I can disagree with you. I can disagree with your beliefs, but I can still affirm you as a person. I can still respect you as a person. It doesn't mean that anymore. The definition of tolerance seems to have changed. Now, what it, instead of I cannot affirm your beliefs, what it now says is that I must affirm your beliefs. It's not just about me saying it's okay for me to believe something and you to believe something else, but I disagree with you. I think you're wrong. I can't say that anymore. I can say I believe something, but I have to affirm that what you believe is equally true to what I believe, that your morality is equally true to what I believe morality should be. And that's just the society we live. Uh, There was a a man who was a Harvard graduate, and he said that while he was on the Harvard campus, and and really a lot of these philosophies flow down from some of the the higher-up schools, And so he was on the Harvard campus, and he said that he was often made to feel that his beliefs were narrow-minded, that he was unkind, he was uh, unfair to other people in their beliefs. And this is what he said. He said, they tell us that it is heresy to suggest the superiority of some value over another, that it is fantasy to believe in the moral argument slavery to submit to a judgment that is sounder than your own. So he's saying it, what society tells us is that it's just wrong. It's not okay to say that there is one belief, there is one truth that is greater than all others. In fact, there is some things that are true and some things that are false. It's not okay to say that anymore. He said, the freedom of our day is the freedom to devote yourself to any values that we please on the mere condition that we do not believe them to be true. Very insightful. It is okay for you to believe whatever you want, as long as you really don't believe that it's absolutely true. 
Because as soon as you believe what you believe is absolutely true and the other things are false, you become intolerant. That is our society. I must affirm that you are right, and 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 the only person in our society that is wrong is the person that's willing to tell somebody else that they're wrong. Well, you say, Dan, this is a weird start. Where are you going with this? This is, this is why I start this way. Because I believe if you believe what the Bible says is true, this affects you. Z.A. Carson said, if Christians are judged intolerant in the new sense, the price of escaping the charge is too high to pay. It would mean abandoning Christ. It's true. Because Jesus made exclusive claims to truth. And so if you want to follow Jesus then you follow the Jesus of the Bible or you follow a Jesus that you've made up. But the Jesus of the Bible claimed exclusive rights to truth. So do you believe in the gospel of Scripture or do you believe in another gospel that is no gospel at all? In our text this week, Paul will be reminding us that there's nothing more important than knowing and believing the one gospel that comes from God. And I promise you this, what the Bible says here, it is culturally uncomfortable. But it's what the Bible says. So let's pray, and then we'll get into it. Father, Lord, I need your help this morning. God, I'm weak and wicked, and I don't deserve to be even doing this this morning, but you're great. Your spirit is, is in me. And so God, I pray that you would use your spirit, use your word, to speak to hearts this morning. Lord, I pray that we would leave this place understanding the gospel more clearly, that we would leave passionate about the gospel. And that, Lord, we would be bold and confident and in, in willing to say that what you say is true, and that means other things are false. And Lord, I pray that you would, you would do your work this morning. I love you. I thank you for Jesus. I thank you that he died for me. In his name, amen. Two weeks ago, I started a new series in the book of Galatians. Most of you have probably only ever heard me speak from the book of Acts, so this might be new for you. Um, but we're in the book of Galatians now, and after I gave that lesson, Brother Cameron came up to me and he said, you forgot to do something. He was correcting me. And he said, you didn't, I know that, that you've studied what the book is about, the overall picture, but you didn't give everybody else that picture. You didn't give everybody else the summary of the book, right, Brother Cameron? And his, his hand is bigger than my head. <laughs> And so when he cracks you, you listen. So briefly this morning, before we get into the text, I want to just give you an idea of what this book is about and why it was written. Back in Acts chapter 13, the Apostle Paul and Barnabas head out on their first missionary journey. They're sent by the church of Antioch in Syria, and then they go out and they preach the gospel in a number of different places, and they end up in Acts chapter 13, verse 14, in the region of Galatia, the promised province of Galatia. And so the first place they go to is Antioch and Pisidia, which is confusing because they were sent from Antioch and they went to Antioch, but they're two different Antiochs. And so they get to Antioch and Pisidia, which is, which is in Galatia, and they preach the gospel there. And, and then they are forced out of Antioch, and so they go to, to Iconium. And after Iconium, they go to Lystra. And after Lystra, they go to Derbe. And each, at each place, they're either forced out or, or beaten or stoned and forced to leave and go to the next spot. And so they, they do this whole route, but what's wonderful is even though that's what happens as a whole, the, mo the majority of the people, especially the Jews, reject the gospel, there are some that believe. And so those that believe, 
form a church. They become disciples of Christ. And so Paul, on the way back from that trip, goes through all those cities he's been in, and he confirms the disciples, and he, he makes sure that the church is healthy and well and, and growing. And so that's how he leaves the place. But unfortunately, after he returns to Antioch, he gets a messenger or, or some message from the, these churches in Galatia that something has gone awfully wrong. That there is a new gospel, another gospel being preached there, and that there are some believers who are starting to believe this gospel. They're starting to tend toward it. And so this is a huge problem. And so Paul sits down to write this letter. And of all of Paul's letters, he is most, I don't want to say unkind, but he's most to the point. He is most passionate, he is most angry in this letter. Now what's amazing about this is that Pastor Dressler is going through the book of 1 Corinthians. And as we've seen already, and as we'll see in the future, 1 Corinthians was a mess of a church. Uh, they, were, they were incredibly sinful in so many different areas. But when he starts that letter, do you remember how nice he was? He was kind to the church. He had nice things to say about them before he got into, hey, these are your problems. He doesn't do that here. In this letter, he, he begins and he just gets right to it. And it, it's almost like Paul is addressing an issue like if you were to write a letter to somebody to tell them you know, about some upcoming event or some small thing in their life, you might write nice things and slowly get into the letter. But if you were to write somebody a letter to tell them that their house is on fire, you probably wouldn't do those niceties, right? You'd probably say, hey, Bob, your house is on fire. And that's what he does. He gets right to it because their house is on fire. And so he sits down to this write, write this letter, and in chapter 1 and 2, he defends the source of the gospel. The gospel is from God. It's not Paul's idea. It's not Paul's message. It is directly from Jesus Christ, directly from God for this church. So he defends the source, and in that he's defending his own apostleship. In chapter 3 and 4, he explains the doctrine of the gospel. So he gets into depth about the law and what the purpose of the law was. And the law was meant to show us our sin, but it was never meant to save us. It is only the gospel that saves us, the death and burial and resurrection of Christ in place of sinners. It is only our faith and repentance that saves us. So he explains the doctrine of gospel in chapters 3 and 4. And then in chapter 5 and 6, he reveals the implications of the gospel on our lives. So now that you know what the truth is, this is how it looks lived out. You don't take the, take the gospel and accept the gospel by faith and then go back to the law. No, you walk in the Spirit. You live by the Spirit. And so he explains that in chapter 5 and 6. So that's the summary. Is that okay? Yeah? All right. So we can move on now. Thank you. Last week we covered the first five verses. I just want to read those five verses again, and then we're going to concentrate this morning on verses 6 to 9. We'll read starting at verse 1. Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. He begins this letter establishing where the authority is. It's not in Paul. In Jesus Christ, it is in God who raised him from the dead. He says, And all the brethren which are with me unto the churches of Galatia, grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. So grace, peace, and then I'm going to explain to you what the gospel is. Verse 4. Who gave himself for us, for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And that's the gospel. That Jesus came, he was given for our sins to deliver us, to rescue us, by the will of God, to the glory of God. That is the gospel. 
So he lays that out, and then in verses 6 to 9, he starts correcting their problem. He says in verse 6, I marvel. The, the word is, I'm shocked. I, I can't believe it. This is crazy. It doesn't make any sense. I marvel. It is astonishing to me. I can't believe that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. And you notice what he does there. He doesn't say, I can't believe that you've left one gospel for another gospel. He says, I can't believe you've left the grace of Christ. I can't believe that you removed yourself from Jesus for another gospel. What he's saying is, you don't have Jesus in another gospel. You either have the gospel of Jesus that I've given to you, or you have a gospel that is void of Jesus. Okay? But those are the two options. So I can't believe that you have so quickly removed yourself from the gospel of Jesus, the gospel of grace. And I can't imagine the heartbreak that Paul is feeling as he writes these, these words. In Acts chapter 14, verse 7, it gives a summary of Paul's mission, ministry in Galatia. And, and the summary is, and there they preached the gospel. That is what Paul did everywhere he went. That is what he did in Galatia. Well, the result of this in Acts chapter 14, verse 19, is that there came hither certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium who persuaded the people and, having stoned Paul, drew him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. This is the result. Yes, there are some people who believe, but Paul has suffered so much so that there are people that stone him, cast massive rocks on him with the intent to kill him. Once they think he's dead, they drag him and leave him outside of the city. This is what Paul has gone through for this place. And now he hears that they've removed themselves from the gospel. He can't believe it. Now Paul is pretty steadfast in his purpose because all Paul does is he goes to the next city and he preaches the gospel there. I can't imagine what Paul is going through. And I think often we, we read these things and we just think Paul is a robot. He's not. Um, he has suffered to give them the gospel. And now they're rejecting it. Do you notice Paul's charge? It is, not, it is not a charge just against small areas of their doctrine. It is a charge against leaving Jesus Christ. And that is why this is so essential for us. Because I believe we have a culture that is filled with people who name the name of Christ. They, they, they call themselves a Christian. They know some things about Jesus. And they think that that's enough to make them a believer, uh, saved. And here's the problem. The church of Galatia, they didn't leave the name of Christ. They still needed Christ. In fact, their gospel was, you need faith in Jesus, and you need some of these works. Okay? And that's what saves you. So once you have faith in Jesus, and you become Jewish, then you're saved. Well, I believe that is, that is a great deal of those people in our society that call themselves Christians, is that you need Jesus, and you need your church. You need Jesus, and you need your baptism. You need Jesus, and you need your good works. You need Jesus, and you need something else. It is Jesus plus something equals the gospel. And you would charge them, you'd say, no, you've left Jesus behind. they say, no, I believe in Jesus. No, you don't believe in Jesus of the Bible. Because Paul says, when you leave that gospel, the gospel that is by faith alone, then you've left Jesus. Verse number seven. By the way, this is not like a, we could talk about different churches, we could, t we could go into you know, different places that preach a gospel that is, that is different from the gospel that Paul preached. But I want you to understand that it, it's not like because we're in a Baptist church we have a monopoly on the truth. That's not it. There is one place that you will find truth, and it is in the Word of God. 
and you should test everything that is said from this pulpit and from any place, from Christian television, from Christian radio, from any place with the Word of God. Okay, That's the only place. It's not, not at all my authority. Please do not listen to me. I mean, you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, some people are leaving already. No, I'm not going to listen to him. All right, verse number seven. So he says that you've, you've left him that called you. You've left him in, into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. He says, which is not another. He makes it pretty clear there, right? You've left him that called you for another gospel. The word gospel means good news or good message. But then he quickly clarifies what he means. He says, but it's not another. It's not another good news. There's no such thing as another good news. There is no other gospel. So you think you've left Jesus for another gospel. You think that you've changed the gospel in a way that still preserves the good news, but you haven't. You have a completely different gospel. That's what he says. You have no, no good news. Nothing left. But there are some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. So this is what's happened. There's been people that have come into the church and they have taught false doctrine and they've tried to persuade and trouble and agitate people to the point where they're starting to say, oh, maybe they're right. Now we're going to learn more as this letter goes on who these people are. And what's happened is there's been a segment of the church of Jerusalem, some Jews, who left the church and claimed the authority of the church, claimed the authority of James, the brother of Christ, went to Galatia, and spread this false, Judaistic, legalistic gospel. And so that is what he's dealing with. But he wants to make this very clear, that, they, that there are people that will trouble us, there are people that will pervert the gospel of Christ. That's why it's so important that we, that we warn one another, that we're, we're careful to know the truth, we're careful to know what the Bible says. Because it's not just the Church of Galatia that was troubled. You look at just about every other book that was written to a church in the New Testament, and there's a warning against false gospels, against false doctrine. Verse number 8, but though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. <laughs> They're weighty words. But he's not done. He wants to make sure you really got what he said. Verse 9, and as we said before, like just a second ago, so I say now to you again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that which you have received, let him be accursed. Can you imagine if the angel Gabriel came down from heaven today, was in our church, and he preached a slightly different gospel from the gospel presented in the scripture. And our response to him was, let you be accursed. The word accursed is anathema. It is under the judgment of God. Let him be damned to hell. That's what he said. Imagine angel. I mean, it's, it's, not, it's not a demonic angel at this point, right? I mean, he says an angel from heaven. Imagine that angel comes down it doesn't matter who it is. If it's, if it's an angel, it is anybody. You name anybody in our culture. That person preaches anything other than what you've heard. Let him be accursed under the judgment of God. <laughs> These are weighty words. You see how Paul is like, he's not pulling punches. He, he's being as clear as he can possibly be. And that's my goal this morning. Be as clear as you can possibly be. There's one gospel. It's the gospel presented in the New Testament. 
And if we don't have that gospel, we have nothing at all. And so it's essential. No matter who says it, it is essential that we compare everything that is said with Scripture. Paul even says that he, he includes himself in that. He says, if I was to come to you with any other gospel, let me be accursed. So it is very, very important that we know the gospel. Before we conclude this morning, I want to give you a few of these truths just to drive home. A few essential things. First one is this. The gospel is all of grace. The gospel that he's preaching here, the problem is, when he gives the gospel in verse 4, he says, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. You notice that in that you did nothing. The only thing you did was sin and, and require a Savior. And so the gospel of all, of all of grace there. Then, in verse 6, when he describes the gospel, he says, from him that called you into the grace of Christ. To another gospel. So it's the grace of Christ or another gospel. Well, what does it mean that the gospel is all of grace? Well, we'll find Paul explain that more explicitly in Galatians chapter 2, verse 16. The next chapter, he says, Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ, and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. He explains that, he, he explains that grace means that your justification, your right standing before God, your righteousness, you having your sins forgiven and washed away, only comes by faith in Christ. It is not by anything you do. It's not by the law. It's not by you being good. It's not by you being religious. It's none of these things. The, the amazing thing in the book of Galatians is that Paul is addressing religious people. These are the ones that you would go to church and you'd be impressed by. They have devotion to their God. And he's correcting them. He's saying, stop it. It is not by works. It is not by looking good. It is not by doing good things. It is only by grace. The gospel is all of grace. Your religion cannot save you. Your goodness cannot save you. Um, your intellectual understanding of who Jesus is will not save you. The gospel is that I am a sinner deserving of the judgment of God. That God in His grace sent His Son Jesus to pay my punishment. To be a curse. Not just to... I mean, I've, I've viewed it this way before. I've... I've seen like Jesus on the cross and you know, you've, you've seen the picture where like we're standing underneath and Jesus is like holding up his hand to God's wrath and like it's almost like the wrath of if God is bouncing off Jesus. That's not it. It's not like he's just covering us from this. He is absorbing all of God's wrath. He is cursed. God looked down from heaven and when he saw his son hanging on the cross, he saw every bad thing that any believer will ever do in his son. He no longer saw a perfect righteous son. He saw all of our wickedness on the cross. Jesus absorbed the wrath of God on the cross. And so the, the gospel is that I'm a sinner and deserving of God's judgment, but God's judgment was poured out on Christ. He, he was my substitution. So when I see my sin for what it is, when I understand that my sin separates me from God, that it is more wicked than I imagined, and when I repent of that sin, when I turn from that sin, I, I turn in faith to Jesus Christ, the gospel is that he saved me. That, that he makes me his child. 
that he sends his Holy Spirit to come inside of me. That's the gospel. That I'm a new creature, that I'm a child of God, that I'm an heir with Christ. It is nothing at all at any point that I did. And so the gospel is all of grace. And now, as a believer, we're given new freedom to serve him. We're a new creature. We have new power to overcome our sin. But, but nothing that we do happens prior to us understanding the gospel and accepting it. The gospel is that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And as soon as you add anything to that equation, as soon as it's Jesus plus anything, then there's no longer grace. You merited it. So that's the first thing. The gospel is all of grace. The second thing is this. There is only one gospel. And I know I've already said this, and I know this is like the, the intolerant part of the lesson, but there is only one gospel. Galatians 1.6, you have removed yourself from him that called you to another gospel, which is not another. The gospel is not one of the ways to God. The gospel is the way to God. The only way to God. Jesus said, and, and I know look, I know that people in our society don't like this, and I know that sometimes this is what, when people look at you, they say, you actually believe that Jesus is the only way? You actually believe that you have truth and other people are wrong? How can you actually say that? It's controversial, but this is one of the clearest things in the entire Bible. Listen to what Jesus said, John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. I just don't see another way there. It is the way, truth, life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Acts 4.12, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. 1 Timothy 2.5, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, man Christ Jesus. Galatians 1.8, But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. Any other gospel is no gospel. And so there is one gospel. Finally, gospel is all of grace, and there's only one. Finally, the gospel is powerful. The gospel is powerful. You say, only one way? You only need one way. You only need one sacrifice for sin. You only need one Savior. When you, when you read those verses, how do you think Paul... What do you think his emotions were when he wrote them? I mean, if he was to give like an expressive reading of this text, how do you think he would read it? I don't think that he would sit back and say, I marvel that you were so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ to another gospel, which is not another, but there are some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ, but though we are an angel. I, don't, I can't imagine that happening, right? It just sounds silly. It's not, it's not written that way. I think he would read it more, I marvel! That you're so soon removed from him that called you to, into the grace of Christ and to another gospel. I, I, can't, I can't believe it. I think you would be passionate. I think when he talks about them being accursed, it would be somber and scary and terrifying because it, the worst thing you could ever be is under the judgment of God. The gospel is powerful. And so Paul is writing this because he understands the power of the gospel. Because he understands the, the need that they have. In 
Romans chapter 1, verse 16, he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, the Jew first and also to the Greek. He's not ashamed because he knows it's powerful. And I believe that the power of the gospel demands a response from us. The gospel is powerful, but that power, this message, this gospel of grace, it demands a response. From those who don't believe, it demands a response. Will you understand your sin as being something that separates you from God, as being God's judgment on you because of your sin? That you are not just a person who has done one or two bad things in your life. You are a person who has rebelled against a holy God. And in his holiness and righteousness, he will, he will judge that sin. Will you understand your sin? Will you understand what Jesus did for you? That he, he, paid, he paid your price. He died in your place. He took your punishment. And will you turn to him? That's the response. It is all of grace. You must trust Christ to be saved. It's a free gift that is offered to you. But you must accept it. And secondly, I believe it demands a response from those who know him as Savior. I don't think we can speak about a gospel like this. Do you understand that, that Paul was already saved? He could have sat back on his chair and just you know, enjoyed, oh man, that's, that's unfortunate about the Galatians. Oh well, no big deal. But Paul is passionate about the gospel. He understands the power of the gospel. And this prompts him to write letters like this. This prompts him to hazard his life all around the world for the sake of the gospel. The power of the gospel demands a response not just for the unsaved, not just for those who don't believe it. It, res- it demands a response from those of us who know the gospel and believe it. Because if we believe that it's the power of the gospel, then Paul says in Romans that we shouldn't be ashamed, that we should be bold, that we should be confident. Listen, I know there's this this huge tendency to be in our culture and know that tolerance is the most important virtue to our culture and say, okay, well, I'm just going to back off a little bit. I'm going to try and make the gospel more palatable for my coworkers. The gospel is so powerful and so true that we can't do that. We can't afford to do that. Don't change the truth that Jesus gave us. We should be passionate and we should be bold. We should be telling people. We should be telling our neighbors. I've been so convicted this past week about the number of neighbors I have that don't know the gospel. I grew up in a Roman Catholic church. Um, I was baptized a baby, first communion, penance, confirmation in the church. I grew up in a Catholic school. Um, We were the type of Catholic family that we went every week. I mean, I knew all about Jesus. Not only that, I went to a Baptist church. I went to Wednesday night kids club for five years every Wednesday. There was a lot of teaching, and I'm not I'm not bashing anybody here. I'm just saying I had I had so much teaching in my life about about Jesus, about who He is, about what He did. But it was not until I was 16 years old that I finally understood the depth of my sin, that I finally understood the wonder of the cross. It wasn't until I was 16 year old, years old that I really repented of my sin, that I surrendered to God, that I made him my Savior and my Lord. And, and what I'm saying here, and the reason that Paul's so passionate with this church, and the reason that I, I'm hopefully passionate this morning, is because I know it's so easy to know about Jesus and not to know him. So if you don't know him, 
you've never really repented, why not make today the day you do that? Why not recognize your sin and ask Jesus to be your Savior? I don't know you. I don't. I know you, some of you, to different degrees, but I don't know you like I know me. And I know that I am the last person in the world deserving of grace. And I know that God has shown me his grace. And so I know he will show it to you too. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth of the gospel. Lord, we thank you that the gospel declares that we are wretched, wicked sinners. And at the same time, the gospel declares that you loved us so much you were willing to sacrifice your son for us. That the gospel declares that because of what Jesus did on the cross, we can be your children. Someday, because of the gospel, we can live with you forever. Lord, I pray that if there's anybody here that doesn't know the gospel, that doesn't, that doesn't know you as Savior, that today they would do that, Lord. And for those of us who do know, help us to be passionate, Lord. Help us to be confident. Help us to be bold. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't be arrogant, but that we would recognize your truth for what it is, the Word of God, that is relevant and essential for all people to know and hear. God, I pray that you would just stir our hearts for the gospel.